Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. My name is Mike Tizier, and I'm joined again today by Joe Anity. Hey, Joe. Hello, Mike. How you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm excited to do another podcast. Here we go. It's a little bit different today, right? Yeah. I mean, we're not usually we we you know delve into the depths of some topic and um, go through it pretty intensely. But today we're going to be doing an update episode. Really, um, we have quite a few updates. So let's just get started. What's new? Yeah, it, I think we need an episode like this because there's a lot that's new. I, I uh, was meeting with a, a pastor friend in the valley and just earlier today and. Uh, we sat down and he says, so what's new? <laughs> Usually my response is, eh, not much, you know, just same old, same old. But uh, uh, this time I had a lot to say. We had met just three weeks earlier and a lot's changed uh, in, in the past three weeks. Uh, so we've talked about a good amount of those things on this podcast, right? We talked about associations, which is one of the things we'll get into. But yep. um, yeah, there has been a lot of change in the last few weeks. So Right. Good, as, good of, stuff. as of last Wednesday, we have been officially received into the Southern California Association of uh, Reformed Baptist Churches. And uh, so that's something we've been uh, really moving towards. I mean, slowly, but we've been moving towards it for a long time. I, I need to go back and look so, at right? notes and records of it in terms of when we really started talking about it. But it's probably been a few years now. Uh, I think I've said this before in previous episodes, we've talked about joining some sort of an association really oh, from yeah. the beginning, yeah. uh, but we were looking in upon the Southern California Association of Reformed Baptist Churches for a long time. My wife and I have been going to pastor's conferences uh, together um, for a few years now, and uh, yeah, we, we submitted a formal application not long ago, and then, like I said, last Wednesday, March 9th, uh, they voted to bring us in, and that was a really sweet process. Yeah, it was. Um, the meeting itself was really encouraging, too. Um, you know, I was very appreciative to have uh, Steve Bovey, uh, my brother Phil Anity, um, and, and Mike, you, you uh, join us, or join me down for that meeting. Uh, it was cool having more more people there. And What, yeah, were, what were your was, thoughts about it? What was your take? It was, a, it was really neat to see kind of a process in action because they were also during, dealing with different matters within the various churches. And it was just really neat to see how they carried themselves with each other. And yeah, um, it was a delegates meeting. They do this every few months where they come together and do association business. Right. So it's mainly elders and some deacons who are right, there. But yeah. Right. So it was really great to meet all the fellow churches and kind of have that real sense for the first time in a long time of just being uh, with other folks that, that, uh, that share a bond of, you know, something substantial like mm-hmm. the London Baptist Confession and, and more, you know, so. Right. That's great. Yeah, and I was happy we, we, we were there and the, the you know, very friendly, you know, uh, atmosphere for sure. And they seemed to be very excited to have us, you know, desiring to come into the mm-hmm. association. There was kind of that sense to the meeting. Um, but I was also happy that they asked us for some very pointed questions. Yes, yes. Um, that was encouraging to see, of course, uh, the question of are we confessional was at mm-hmm. the heart of it. And they didn't spend much time on that, honestly, in that meeting because I think they trusted that uh, Dr. Renahan and, and Jason Walter have already worked through those issues with us in the months leading up to the meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that is really what's at the core of the association is this idea that we agree upon these very important doctrines. Uh, the Word of God is our authority for truth. There is this belief that the London Baptist Confession does summarize uh, the core teaching of the Bible for us in a way that is faithful to Scripture. And so that is kind of the central 
document, and, and uh, I had a number of conversations with uh, uh, Renahan and Walter leading up to this meeting. So they didn't spend too much time there, but I guess most of the other questions had to do with, you know, hey, tell us about Emmaus. How did you come into existence? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how, how do things run? What are you mm-hmm. teaching through right now? Um, what's your philosophy of ministry on certain points? So. What's our membership process? All right. those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah. it was good. I'm, I'm really glad, as, as you said, that they asked a bunch of questions. It, yeah. You know, it's good to... So they voted and it, it. there were uh, all yays and no nays yeah <laughs> that's always encouraging <laughs> that would have been awkward to have one yeah. nay you know uh, but yeah so officially we've been received but the decision was made there at the meeting that we would not be formally and publicly presented until the worship gathering in july at the end of july and uh so the reason for that is we're actually going to host that worship gathering at Emmaus Christian Fellowship, um, also known as Diamond Valley Middle School, <laughs> if we're talking about location. Uh, so I want to say it's the last Sunday in July. I think I that's right, yeah. It's late July, more information to come on that. But we're going to be hosting that ga- gathering, and so there'll be a, a worship service at our church. Um, uh, Christ Reformed Baptist Church from uh, Vista will be uh, really responsible for making the worship service happen because they're the one that's taking the point on this, but they're using our facility and afterwards we'll have a meal together and all of that. So uh, yeah, it'll be great. Cause we'll be able to have more of a presence there cause it's, you know, in our town and yeah, that's the idea. Come. If they would have presented us last Sunday, we would have had, you know, 15, 20 people there, but Lord willing, if they present us in July, we'll have a really good representation from right. our congregation there. Right. Uh, the worship gathering was really encouraging too on Sunday night. Um, you know, a number of us traveled down to, La Mirada to participate in that. And, uh, I don't, I feel at I just, I feel at home w- with these folks and I feel at home with them despite the fact that the cultures of our churches are, are quite different. So it's kind of a, a, a neat thing to where, yeah, I, we walk into Trinity Reformed Baptist Church and we start to sing together and they're singing out of the Trinity hymnal, uh, the, the, the Baptist edition of it, right? Uh, there's a piano. I think they had a trombone player actually too, Mike. Um, actually it sounded very nice. Uh, you know, it was, it was well done. Um, but no prominent lead vocalist, you know, that the, an elder stands up front and sings, but he's not miked, you know? So it's just the voices of the people in the congregation singing hymns and, and very traditional hymns. You can tell they like their hymns, by the way, they're very good at singing hymns too, to where it's, it's enjoyable just to be a part of that. Um, and, and I like it, but that's not us, right? We we have a different approach to to music. And so culturally, there's a difference. But we have such agreement as it pertains to theology and to overarching philosophy of ministry, you know, and just the view of the church, you know, in terms of the role of the church, um, uh, that... I, I just I, every time I'm around these guys, I feel very at home with them, and so that's encouraging for me. And I and I hope that our people are also able to kind of see that and sense that and feel it. Though there's a difference culturally when it comes to music, in particular, there, there's a real shared and common bond there mm-hmm. when it comes to doctrine and, and, yeah. and philosophy of ministry, right? Yeah, um, yeah, that's my hope at least. So we're we're excited. It took so long for us to finally come into the association that in some ways it doesn't feel like that big of a, a change because mm-hmm. it wasn't abrupt. 
on the relationship that you as particular have had with, you know, Jason right. Walter and, and Dr. Renahan. So it's been that. There's relationships there and, so, and some other men. Um, yeah. But when you really stop to think about it, it's a big deal. It's a really big change. Yeah. We in the last week have went from being a purely independent church to now belonging to an association of churches so that we're not, we're not isolated uh, right. and alone anymore. It, it, it's a very significant shift. And it's one that I'm very glad that we've finally made. Me yeah. too. Me too. Kind of on another note, I, I am, uh, you can pray for me, uh, going to go to um, a conference back in Illinois in, uh, at the end of April. Uh, it, it's the uh, General Assembly for the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of America. So that's also a Reformed Baptist Association, but it's a national one. And so this is kind of how it works. There'll be local associations all over the country, the Southern California one being actually, I think, one of the first, if not the first in the country. Oh, okay. Scarby's, there's a, there's a uh, you know, real history to that. And then uh, a lot of those churches who are a part of local associations are also a part of ARBCA, the National Association. And so I've been to one General Assembly before when it was in Arizona, but I'm going to be flying back to Illinois to join them for this one here and. uh I just hope to build more relationships and to get to know people um, better through it. So keep that in prayer. And that might be something we pursue in the future too, considering joining ARMCA. But I think it's, I think it was a great move to just go with local for now and, and really, because mm-hmm. you can build those relationships a lot easier with yeah. less people and more closer proximity to us. So. Yeah. Yeah. The encouragement was definitely to start here and then yeah. uh, who knows? I, I don't know what the Lord has in store in regard to ARBCA, but uh, it's something we are definitely exploring. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Um, there's also some changes uh, in relation to John DeVito. Um, if you've listened to the podcast, we interviewed him, Joe, Joe interviewed him a couple was that a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, a month ago? I don't even know. Man, my Anyways, way back. A couple months ago, I think, yeah. <laughs> Time flies. Uh, so if you've listened to that, um, you've heard, you know, what he was pursuing to do um, in South Africa and his story. And there's been some updates to that. And Joe, you talked to him this morning. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I had a nice talk with John. I uh, really value the relationship that's been established there between he and I. He's, he's just a, a good guy and uh, we see eye to eye on a lot of things. Uh, but as you know, uh, yeah, his desire was to get to South Africa to serve as the conference manager for the African Pastors Conference. And uh, uh, that ministry um, puts, puts on you know, 40-some-odd yeah. conferences a year for African pastors. They come and they'll, they'll receive teaching and edification for you know a week and then be sent back to their um, – their, their hometowns and they'll minister there. And he was hoping to go to serve as the administrator, but also to teach frequently. Uh, and so he was busy raising support and we had pledged to support him monthly, but also to contribute to his startup costs. Uh, but over the course of time that the support was coming in rather slowly, uh, it just it wasn't clicking. He did take a trip to South Africa. Uh, this was probably a couple of months ago now. And he uh, went on one of the, uh, you know, a teaching circuit and just really saw everything that was going on on the ground. And while he was there, he was just struck with the idea that it would be possible to restructure the ministry a bit um, and to break the position that he hoped to fulfill into two parts. Um, he would have been both an administrator, you know, getting stuff done and, and lining everything up, uh, scheduling and, and whatnot. Uh, but he would have also been responsible for providing a substantial amount of teaching. 
he would have taught breakout sessions at these conferences and, and some uh, 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 African pastor would have provided teaching for the main sessions. That was the idea, but uh, he, he was struck with the sense that, you know, if we broke this into uh, two sections, then you wouldn't need to find someone who could both administrate and teach. You could find someone from Africa, you know, maybe even South Africa, who would be able to just come and administrate uh, all of these conferences. And then the teaching side of things could be supplied uh, by pastors from Africa or even from Europe or from the States. And uh, so he presented that to the leadership of the African Pastors Conference. They liked the idea, and they've been um, working towards that, the restructuring of the ministry, and they are currently in the process of trying to find an African pastor to fulfill that administrative role. And that's what I spoke with John about uh, this morning. I wanted to hear how he was doing, uh, but I also wanted to hear how things were going for African Pastors Conference and what kind of progress they're making. So evidently, even this week, they're going to be interviewing a man, um, not from South Africa, but actually from Kenya. He's going to be traveling down to South Africa, he and his wife, and they're going to interview him for the position. And so that could be something that you put to prayer, you know, just that that God would show favor here. Um, The request was made of us— from John DeVito, that we would consider redirecting the support that we had pledged to him as an individual to the African Pastors Conference, in particular with the with the idea of supporting this new administrative uh, position. And the elders spoke about that um, at our last um, agenda meeting and decided that that would be a good thing for us to do, that we would be willing to still support that new position. Um, John hopes to still be involved with the ministry by serving on the board as he remains stateside. And so he's still very much involved. It's just that there's been a restructuring here. So uh, we still believe that the work that African Pastors Conference is doing is very important. It seems like a very good organization. The plan set forth makes a lot of sense. Actually, I think it's a very good plan because they'll probably be able to bring on an administrator for for much less cost than bringing John and his whole family, moving them from the States to South sure. Africa and all that's yeah. involved with that. So it makes sense to me. Yeah, that's good. It, and it's been neat to listen to John and to, to, sh- to see how the Lord's been working in his life. I mean, he gave notice, you know, at his previous job, he was serving as the administrator of a, a seminary back East. Um, and, he had to give notice, you know, that, that he was leaving in, in 60 or 90 days or whatever it was. And so, uh, hey, that's tough, you know, when you have to support a, a large family mm-hmm. without work for a period of time. But over the course of time, some opportunities have opened up for him stateside where there's a church that's interested in bringing him on as their lead pastor. And uh, so he's currently in a process there of serving as a interim pastor. Uh, well, I guess that's not the right title. He's He's really a candidate. And he's going yeah. to be there preaching every Sunday between now and I think the end of end of May. Uh, and the church will be making a decision as to if they want to hire him as a as a lead pastor uh, there in that congregation. And so it's just interesting how the Lord works. You know, yeah. uh, a few months ago we thought everything was headed in one direction, and then things have changed pretty substantially. Right. But it was very important that we brought an update to you guys about. Uh, John DeVito. So we're excited we got to got to meet him, right? Because I mean, he's just been a really great guy to know, and I mean, his his experience throughout his life, as he shared in his testimony too, 
um, you know, coming from a Mormon background, like there's some yeah. pretty, yeah. pretty awesome things that he can share about that too, that hopefully we can talk about. It's actually one of the things we talked about this morning was, uh, scheduling another podcast with him to talk more about his testimony and, uh, um, his experience with the Mormon church mm-hmm. and how it was that he came out of it and, uh, what the difference is between Mormons and Christians and, uh, and, and how to go about sharing the gospel with them. And so we'll probably do that pretty soon here. I think it'll be Lord, so helpful. Lord willing. Yeah, I'll great. actually see him at the Arbca General Assembly, so I'm excited about that. Um, and so we'll, we'll be able to have face-to-face interaction there uh, in the last week of April. Um, but yeah, just keep praying for John, that the, that the Lord would guide and direct him as to his future position. Keep praying for African Pastors Conference. We at Emmaus still plan to support them until the Lord shows us otherwise. Um, but pray for that ministry, for the, the, the conference manager or the, the administrator that is needed, and for adequate teachers mm-hmm. to be involved with that, that ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another um, pretty exciting change and very substantial change has been our recent move to um, partaking of, of the Lord's Supper every Sunday instead of just once a month. So. Mm-hmm. And Joe, you've done a, a mini little sermon series, just two parts um, on that and why. And um, so that's pretty cool. I want you to talk more about that. Yeah, so today we're recording this on March the 16th. So we partook of the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of March and then again on the second. So yeah, we've actually experienced it. You know, we mm-hmm. we are now partaking weekly. Two sermons, I... I think the series could have been a lot longer. Oh, the sure. Lord's Supper, it's such a rich thing, you know. Uh, we could just talk for days about it. But I tried to make a case that, um, well, first of all, this first sermon was, what is the Lord's Supper? We've got to figure out what it is that we're doing when we're, we're coming to the table. And then the second sermon was asking the question, um, how should it be observed? And I tried to make a case that uh, the Scriptures imply strongly the weekly observance of the Supper and also the use of wine um, I don't know if I emphasize this enough in the sermon. The, the issue of wine is really a secondary issue in my mind. It, it's it's of far less importance. You know, I, I think a strong case could be made that it definitely was wine that was used in the observance of the Lord's Supper in the early days of the church. Um, I get it why people shy away from it, um, especially and, and here in the U.S. I I, I do, um, but really, what I tried to make. Um, a case for is that, you know, the reasons as to why a, a church would move away from the use of wine are kind of troubling to me, and, and I think they're rooted in some legalistic sorts of tendencies. And so I, I did emphasize this. The Lord's Supper still works if you're using grape juice instead of wine. Sure. You know, the symbolism is still there. I think the Lord blesses churches who are partaking using grape juice. That's not the issue. The issue is um, found when you ask the question, why would we ever decide to change you know, the use of wine and to go in another direction? And it has to do with the temperance movement in our nation's history, prohibition era kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, And I, I don't like what I find when I dig into that whole movement and strain of thought. That's really what motivated us, I think, to address the issue of wine instead right. of and juice. That, and that's the question. Why change it from what it was? Because right. I think we tend to think the other way around. Like, and you mentioned this in your sermon, but just like, you know, we tend why change it to wine from grape juice? Well, the question should have been asked, like, well, let's go back in time. Why did it get changed to grape yeah, juice yeah. in the first the, place? The norm is grape juice, so everyone's troubled when we say let's use wine, but really we should have been more troubled when it was wine right. and then moved to right. the use of uh, 
grape juice, right? Yeah, that, that's a point that I made. But honestly, I think the more significant aspect of this change has to do with the weekly observance. Mm-hmm. And I tried to make a case that the scriptures strongly imply that when the church gathered together on the Lord's Day, um, the, the supper was observed, you know. Um, in the book of Acts, that seems to be implied early on. Um, also, when you read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he's there rebuking the church for their improper behavior during the supper. But it, the, the, the repetition there in that passage is that when you gather together, when you come together, when you come together. So though they were doing a terrible job at observing the Lord's Supper and the supper was filled with sin and it was having maybe the opposite effect that it should have had upon that congregation, uh, still what we need to recognize is that they were uh, trying to observe it um, uh, when they came together as a congregation. And and so anyways, you can go back and listen to those sermons, I guess, if you'd like. We don't need to talk about this anymore. But um, I... Why even address this issue? Well, it's because I, I think the supper is important. That's, and I yeah. think there is a spiritual benefit you know, to partaking of the supper. I believe it is a means of grace. You know, and, and what I mean by that is I think the Lord strengthens his people as we are obedient to what he has given us, that we are to preach the word, we are to administer the sacraments, and uh, God works in and through uh, those means in powerful ways. And so, you know, it's important that we address this. And, and my prayer is that the Lord would just strengthen us all the more. Yeah, it's, the I mean, it's a, probably one of the more significant changes we've had to our liturgy. So I think it's great that we talk about it here, mention it here. Yeah. So, and just in case you're curious and want to know the last two, the, the two sermons that we're talking about referencing were on February 28th and March 6th. So you can go back and look at those and listen to those uh, sermons if you want more information. So, or if you weren't able to make it to church or whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's, that's a big change. And, um, another one I'm personally enjoying a lot too, because I w- wasn't able to make it to essentials or, you know, our adult Sunday school ish class. Um, you know, they were previously at eight thirty in the morning and now we've moved it to nine and, that that change has helped, I think, a lot more folks uh, join and be part of that. So I, yep. I'm excited about that. Well, the reason you couldn't make it is because you were doing music rehearsal right, at that right. time. You were already there. but uh, And not only could you uh, not make the class, but all who were involved in leading music couldn't make it. So, right, we uh, Mike has been getting the rehearsal done before 845. That's mm-hmm. when you guys are done. Class starts at nine. It only goes to nine forty-five. That forty-five minutes, in my opinion, flies by. You know, it I, does. right? We have to be very disciplined with time. Uh, we're meeting now in the what we call main sanctuary, <laughs> also known as multi-purpose room at Diamond Valley Middle yeah. School. Uh, so, so that I don't know that that's been a nice feel, but that also frees the library up for uh, child care for the right. for the little ones. Um, so and I've been allowing more people to come. It has. I, I've been too, very yeah. pleased with the attendance. Um, there's a good feel to the class, and I just want to continue to exhort people to consider coming. It's it's so important. I mean, the the preaching of the word is of supreme importance, right? But what do I have? Uh, Forty minutes ish mm-hmm. on a Sunday so morning, even less than the essential hour, essentially. <laughs> yeah, forty minutes, and and it's good. The most important thing is that you're in church in fellowship on the Lord's Day, that you're hearing the word preached, and that you're laboring to apply the word. But think of think of the benefit of, of coming uh, to Emmaus Essentials for that extra forty five minutes of instruction. It's a different kind of instruction 
It's not the word preached, but it's the word taught in a more systematic sort of way. And uh, I really think it's going to provide an opportunity for people to put the pieces of the puzzle together when it comes to the Christian life, you know, as we move through various uh, studies. Right now we're looking at uh, the, the the question of how to interpret the Bible. We're looking at hermeneutics. And uh, yeah, it's just such a valuable thing. I wish every person at Emmaus w- was being exposed to this stuff. And uh, just imagine the things we're going to be able to touch on over the next 10, 20, 30 years as we continue mm-hmm. this trend of picking good books and looking at important theological issues, essential theological issues. That's why we call it Emmaus Essentials because we're mm-hmm. we're not going to touch upon everything under the sun, but we're going to tr- continue to pick those topics that are just core and, and um, key to helping us understand what we believe in and why it is that we believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hermeneutics right now, there's plans to... Um, look again at covenant theology, which we've done with our men and women, but it was like drinking from a fire hydrant, I think, for, for them because <laughs> it was just such a huge topic to deal with uh, in that format in our men's and women's um, uh, gatherings. Um, you know, We'll look at covenant theology here. We'll probably return to the doctrine of, the, of Scripture in the future, but from another angle and uh, just keep rolling uh, week after week for... Uh, as long as the Lord would bless us with the ability to do ministry like that. So, yeah, I'd really encourage people to come. We're, we're trying to make it as accessible as possible. 9 to 9.45, we break for 15 minutes, and then, you know, announcements start, and we'd have a call to worship, right. and we enter in. Yeah. And if you do miss a week or you can't make it every time, there's always, uh, we're able, because we're in that main sanctuary area, it's also easier to record. So we're able to record the audio and post that online. Um, as a means to catch up if you miss something, so that's that's really great. So yeah. and Joe also puts up the the PDF of of the notes too. You can mm-hmm. look through as you go. So yep, emmauscf dot org backslash essentials. Right. Yep. Yeah, and there's also some talk here, and this is something you could just put to prayer. But at the last agenda meeting, um, the elders of Emmaus decided to go ahead with trying to develop a, a little bit of a a curriculum uh, for our children. Um, to be taught during that Emmaus Essentials hour, you know. Um, Historically, that's what the church is called Sunday school, right? Um, You notice we are starting to use that phrase in regard to Emmaus Essentials because it's almost, it it just, it it clarifies what we're doing there. It's Sunday school for adults. That's what Emmaus Essentials is. And historically, uh, the church has called that time of instruction for children also Sunday school, over time, churches began to uh, divide the congregation generationally during the actual worship service, right. and they would call that thing that we sent our kids off to Sunday school. That's not yeah. what we're talking about doing here. That's incredibly important that you hear that, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> I, I love the conversations we have at our elders' meetings, but I'm, I'm smiling now, though you can't see it. You know, um, Last the last agenda meeting was the first time you heard about this, Mike. Even yeah. though the elders had talked about it a, a month or two earlier, and uh, yeah, why don't you tell them what you started to ask? So, yeah. Our reaction <laughs> is was, uh, wait a minute, why are we going back to something we so strongly moved away from? You know, just a few years ago, because it, you know we we were we were doing that 
very thing, the segregated worship service in the sense that that's just because that's what we had been doing before um, from where we came from. So it's just, you know, it made sense to just keep going um, and we hadn't really got to ask the question why together at least yet. And so, you know, we moved away from that strongly, really pushing the family oriented you know, right. you know, service where we want every, every generation present together for the actual worship service. Um, and so that was my initial reaction just because more thinking that way and not really, not remembering the main reason yeah. that we <laughs> moved away from it. In the first place. And it gave us an opportunity to work that through and to clarify, we are not talking about going back to the whole children's ministry approach to worship, to where, the kids are dismissed or, you know, sent off at the beginning or dismissed in the middle of the service to have their own uh, little worship service or, 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 or whatever. Um, we are very much um, devoted to this idea that the church is a multi-generational thing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that young and old are to worship together. I think we should probably do another podcast on that issue, just restating our position on that and also giving biblical warrant for it. Uh, just for example, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, right, that letter to the church in Ephesus, um, it's interesting to notice that he addresses husbands, he addresses wives, and he also addresses, guess what, children. You know, the implication there is that the children are a part of the church and they are exhorted uh, from Paul and through the elders of that church to obey their parents and honor their parents, right? Um, Also, we can talk about just the history of it, that throughout the history of the church, that's how church has always been approached in a multi-generational way. So we are very devoted to that. Um, We've benefited greatly from it. We love it. You know, it's a wonderful thing to see our children worship with us. I mean, I've had some very moving experiences looking down the, uh, I'll call it a pew, even though it's a bench at Diamond Valley Middle School, but the pew uh, to my son who is just worshiping the Lord with his whole heart, you know, in such a passionate way. I, you know, should I use that word? Passionate? Yeah. Such a, it, <laughs> it's a heartfelt, curious, expressive yeah. way. And, and here he is as a little uh, nine-year-old boy. Um, just entering in and I wouldn't be able to have that experience with him if we were still doing what we used to do mm-hmm. and sending them out. Uh, um, and to see my kids uh, taking sermon notes and g- grasping so much, you know, they really are. I, I mean, especially my older two, my daughter is now 12 and my second born 11. I mean, they, they get everything. I mean, I, that, I really don't think that's overstated. They are able to, you know, communicate what the sermon was about every mm-hmm. Sunday mm-hmm. when I ask them. Uh, actually, they're able to communicate what the sermon was about that next Thursday when we gather together with our youth. And that's one of the things we talk about. What about the previous Sunday sermon? What did you learn? Um, actually, I'll boast not on my own children, but about someone else's child in the church. There was another uh, girl about the same age uh, this past Thursday when I asked that question. She rattled off the, um, oh, how many points? Well, I just, oh, geez, I can't even remember. Was it five or seven? It might have even been seven points uh, to the sermon. She rattled them off from memory, like Impressive. perfectly. Impressive. They, they weren't all in order, but it was all there. I, I'm like, I'm so happy right now. You know, it was just so she, she's probably 13 now, but yeah, it's like, don't buy into this 
crazy idea that our kids are not able to sit through right. a worship service and grasp what is being taught. They they grasp it through observation. They learn to worship by watching those who are older than them, their parents in particular, worship. Um, and, and they can understand the teaching, sure. even from a very young age. It, uh, we've only been doing this for a little while now. Um, it's probably coming up on two years, probably less, but it's been so good. We're not moving away from that is what I'm trying to say. Um, it's actually interesting when we were reading a lot on this subject of family type worship, there's terminology um, associated with different movements. There's a family integrated model. And as we're reading on family integrated worship, we're going, I don't know if we're quite comfortable with that because the family integrated model tends to say that never should the church be broken up according to generations. Like never should the children be instructed except for by their parents, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking in general terms here, right? But that, that that's kind of the flavor you get in the so-called family integrated model. From the beginning, we decided to use the terminology family oriented just mm-hmm. to say that Yes, we we agree that the church has made some mistakes in moving away from multi-generational worship, and we want to be family-oriented. We want to worship together as families. We want to equip uh, fathers and mothers to disciple their children, uh, to catechize them, to read the Word with them, to do family worship at home. That's all super important. Um, But we still do see that the church, and when I say that, um, I'm speaking in particular of the ordained ministers within the church, those who are called to minister the word, the the church, the, the ministers, the pastors do have the responsibility of also teaching children, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that the church's responsibility is to teach fathers or husbands only, and then the husband is to teach the wives and the children. That, that, that's not the biblical model here, but rather I think a pastor has the obligation to shepherd the congregation, the whole congregation, the multi-generational congregation. And so even from after the immediately after the time where we went to this family-oriented model, for example, we've continued to do uh, have a youth gathering on Thursday nights. And so what is that? Well, it's it's an age segregated thing. We're we're acknowledging that it's beneficial to give instruction to um to, to those junior hires and to give them an opportunity to fellowship together and to receive some age-specific sort of teaching. That's fine, but that's on a Thursday night. You know, They're getting on a Thursday night the same kind of thing that adults are getting as they go off to a gospel community group or as they come to Amaze right. Essentials. Right. right? And, and so they're getting on a Thursday night. In the same way, we see that there might be a benefit to um, providing some instruction to uh, the wee little ones, you know, on a on a Sunday morning while the adults are in the Emmaus Essentials Hour. So I don't know what that'll look like quite yet. Um, uh, we've talked of dividing it up into, you know, toddlers who just need to be watched. You know, they're too young to yeah. sit through a lesson. Maybe a little bit of reading could be done for them. Um, but then the kids who are old enough for instruction to break it up into maybe two or three age groups and to uh, to have uh, either the elders or others appointed by the elders who are qualified and gifted uh, to teach to to provide a little bit of instruction for them instruction that will um, uh, 
support and supplement the instruction that is taking place in the corporate worship service in the home, you know, so it will be, I'm sure, organized around our catechism and confession and that, and that sort of thing. Right. Um, but, but that's the idea here. Um, otherwise they're just being babysat, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, while the, the adults are learning. Uh, so, so why not provide some teaching for us? So just what I'm saying is pray for us in that regard. I don't know how long it's going to take us to organize it or how difficult it's going to be to staff it, you know, to have uh, teachers who are willing to uh, serve in that way. But, yeah, well, I think it's going to be good. So, Did I communicate that all right uh, based yeah. upon our conversation? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that was good. I think uh, Joe, I think you mentioned this, but we definitely want to do an, an entire episode on on the idea of family-oriented worship and and why we think that's important mm -hmm. um so maybe we could if, if phil can we can bring phil in for that sure that'd be awesome yeah that would be good he's read probably more than any of us on the subject and um yeah yeah no he, he would be a good one to bring in i was about to say something but i just yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know uh, how that goes yeah Yeah, and also I would encourage um, uh, both the, the men and the women of Emmaus uh, to consider being involved in this next um, Bolstering the Brethren event and also the next Ladies' Time Out. Um, oh, that's going to be on that topic. It's going to be on that topic. I came across this wonderful little book entitled Family Worship, um, and so we'll be going through that together. It's, it's a wonderful little book in that it's very brief, very easy to read, it keeps the whole thing so simple, you know, and uh, so I would really encourage men and women to uh, participate in that study, to read the little book ahead of time, and to come to the next bolstering event and also the next ladies' event. When is the next men's event? It's early April, right? Um, second Saturday in April. Yeah. And then the ladies' event would be the month after that. I think second Saturday of uh, May, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so yeah, that's April 9th for the men's, and May 14th for the women's. So cool. Yeah. Yep. Be a great study uh, on the topic we've just been discussing. Great. But I, I think that's it, right, Mike? Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, uh, that's, I mean, that's at least the Scar main things that's new. Yeah. So. Scar BC, John DeVito, Lord's Supper, Sunday School. Um, it's a lot of changes yeah. in, in a few weeks. Um, some of them were a long time coming for mm -hmm. sure, you know, but I don't know. They just have kind of all hit at the same time, mm -hmm. I guess. Well, if you're listening to this and you have some questions that you haven't gotten to ask yet, send us an email or at, uh, at staff at EmmausCF.org or uh, just give us a call, 951-444-8765 or just ask us in person on Sunday. So <laughs> definitely want discussion on this stuff. Um, so if you guys have any questions at all, um, please don't hesitate to ask. So we'd be happy to talk about it. So, well, that that concludes this episode. Yeah, I think we're we're good, and um, looking forward to our next topic, whatever that may be. Not sure yet, but um, until next time, abide in Christ. We'll see you later. Mm -hmm.